0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Why don't you join me in in a time of prayer before the Lord? We humble ourselves this morning before you, Lord. You are the God of heaven and of earth. You are all-knowing, all-powerful, Perfect in your love and slow to anger. May your name, Jesus, be lifted high above all other names, for only you are worthy of our praise. Your hand, Lord, crafted the world and set our feet upon it to rule and reign, to do this with obedient and pure hearts. Yet we have all fallen short of your glory, God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray we've gotten lost and we've turned to our own ways and yet you have laid on Jesus all of our sin and for those of us who have turned to you and trust in you oh our Lord we rejoice that you have taken for us the penalty of death that was due us father how your sovereign hand moves in all of our circumstances to draw us into a deeper knowledge of who you are. Oh, that we would have eyes to see your hand in everything, in this season and in the ones to come. As we contemplate this, Lord, may we fear you. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Your wisdom is Christ crucified. And the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Oh Jesus, as a child runs into the arms of their father, may we, like children, humbly, boldly, vulnerably, And with the certainty of who you are, may we sprint into the arms of our Father. May we take refuge in our Heavenly Father in the only place where we can truly find rest. As you've said in Psalm 34, come, my children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Thank you that we can humbly come before you, Father. That you know us and we can know you. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Good morning, church. Here to read uh, the Bible verses for this morning, a reading from Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 to 22. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble such things must come but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on heaven will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For for where there are two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times.
2: I I, I was going to call this sermon from Matthew 18, uh, Little Ones, and with the little ones all over the place this morning and up on the drums, maybe I should have stuck with that one. I then decided I was going to call it the goat, and eventually I settled on my title this morning, the lowly goat, the lowly goat. You know what goat stands for, don't you? No, It's not the opposite of sheep. What does it stand for? Audrey, was that a big yes there? What, what is it? The lowly greatest of all time, the lowly goat. We're on uh, week six of our series. Week one was elders, two deacons, three church habits, four convictions, five was the mind of Christ from Philippians 2 with Mark last week, and this morning we're going to look at the lowly goat. Now, the question of the goat is an ongoing question, isn't it? It's always an ongoing question in every field, no matter where you go. And I want to sort of get you into this and shout it out. You've got some freedom this morning. Be a really good Baptist. Make a noise. And as I I put something up there, tell me who's the goat. Who do you think the goat is? No, 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 wait for me. I'm not giving. No, he's not even on there. How about that one? Mmm, Steffi Graf, Margaret Court, Serena Williams, who's the goat? Uh, sh- come on, you can you can shout it out. Court, Serena, Steffi. All right, Court gets it. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll send her an email and tell her we think she's the greatest. How about uh, which one? Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Which one? Hmm. If we move into the area of literature, do you know who they are? C.S. Lewis and who's on the left? Tolkien. Which one? Do you know who they are? Well, you should know the middle one. (laughs) The middle one is who? Einstein. Who's the one on left and right? Anybody know? Thomas. Thomas. Listen. Okay, which is the goat? I'll make it easy. Because which country is the goat? Which country is the goat? How many South South Africa? Oh, we've already got one hand. Australia. Oh, bias, bias, bias. All right. So. The, 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 the goat question is Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? In other words, Lord, who is the, who's the goat? Who is the, who is the goat among us? Who is the greatest of all time among us? I mean, Lord, rank us and line us up 1 to 12, right? That's what's what they were asking. Now, just figure this. Even if you made number 12 in the disciple list, would you be okay with that? I mean, 12 would be okay, wouldn't it? I mean, at least you'd make top 12, right? Mm. Now, the positioning for power among the disciples is not really surprising when you consider the context and what happened in Matthew chapter 17. So just take a look with me. You've got your Bible. I want you to open it up. It will be helpful, Matthew 17 and 18. So just look at the context before. In Matthew 17, 24 to 27, Jesus says to Peter, well, go out, catch a fish, throw a line, open the fish's mouth. The first coin that you get a four drachma coin, use that to pay for the tax of me and you. Now think about it this way. If Jesus didn't do that for the other disciples, if the other disciples needed to pay their own tax, well, then maybe Peter is the goat. I mean... You've got to be contender for the goat if the rabbi pays your fishy tax to the Romans. But then you back up into Matthew 17, 14 to 23, and you notice that nine of the disciples, they're at the bottom of the mountain, and they are struggling to heal the boy who is demon-possessed. They can't do it. And so maybe the nine at the bottom, maybe the three on the mountain, maybe they so maybe the three are the goats, or they've got more goatedness, and the nine are somewhere else. I mean, figure it this way. There were only three that were taken up onto the mountain, right? Matthew 17:1 to 13. Only three went up. Peter, James, and? and John. I mean, how's everybody else feeling in the ranking system? So back to that question, Matthew 18, verse 1. As the disciples come and say to Jesus, who is the goat? They probably figured it this way. Peter 1, 2 was probably John, 3 was probably James, and the rest were jostling for position of 4 to 12. And I can imagine sort of Peter being right there at the head of the pack waiting for Jesus to say to him, Peter, you, you, you're the goat. You see, the goat at the end of the day, it always comes down to achievement, doesn't it? It's what you've done above above somebody else or the greatness thereof. It's about how much money you've accumulated. It's It's about the line that you're in. It's about who you're associated to. It's about the experiences that you've had. It's about the inventions that you've created. You see, for the disciples, they were in the kingdom elevator. And they wanted to go to the very top of the penthouse. Are we any different to the disciples? Pride is the mother of all sins, isn't it? The opposite of humility is pride. And clearly the disciples at this point in their journey, uh, they're still full of pride. You see, because to become a humble disciple of Jesus is a forming, forging journey where the self has to be crucified over and over and over again. And pride comes in all sorts of devilish forms. Have you noticed that? Let me give you a few. There's racial pride. There's ethnic pride. There's sporting pride. Accomplishment pride. There's invention pride, wealth pride, status pride, family pride. There's gay pride, there's educational pride, there's national pride. And you see, pride shows itself in all sorts of forms, doesn't it? Pride shows in the envy and the jealousy. Pride shows when we judge one another, when we look down on little ones, as we'll see in the passage just now. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and it's a haughty spirit. That will go before a fall. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It is the love of money which is a root of all kinds of evil. It is pride that is also a root of all kinds of evil. And even if we are Christians here this morning, pride is a resident evil. In the very flesh of our sinfulness. I wonder this morning where you might be able to detect pride in your heart. Where do you detect pride in your heart? Now the way that Jesus goes about answering the goat question is so wonderfully surprising. And the way in which he does this is about to turn the concept of goatness upside down. Jesus answers the goat question, actually with a gateway question. He answers the goat question with a gateway question. Let me show you what I mean. So, who's the greatest amongst us? And here's what Jesus says in verse 2. 4, he says, he called a little child to him, placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change, and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. Now, here's what you've got to see. What Jesus is saying is this. Before you ask the goat question, before you ask who is the greatest in the kingdom, you better answer the question of the gateway. In other words, before you ask about the goat, you better ask, how do I get into the kingdom? Before you want to ask about ranking, about who's where, ask yourself, how do you get into the kingdom? What's the gateway? In other words, Peter, if you want the keys to the kingdom, you better make sure you've got the right key that opens the The kingdom door. And here's what Jesus is about to do. Once he shows them the gateway question, it's the goat question that will sort of just recede to the background. It will become all superfluous. So look at verses 2 to 4 again. What does Jesus do? He has a child come and stand among them. And he says, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God and 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 whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom. So ask yourself this question, how do you enter the kingdom? Disciples. What's the gateway? How do you get in? Like a like a lowly child. Some translations have like a humble child. You say, well, a child is not particularly humble. Not that one over there. I mean, I don't know. Thanks, Izzy. Sorry. Um, Jesus is not talking about an inherent quality of children. He's talking about their lowly status in society and neediness. You've got to become like a lowly child. So just let's think about small children for a moment and it will become clear. Is it not true that until children reach a certain age, they are completely dependent upon their parents for everything? Children, little children are needy creatures, aren't they? I mean, a baby cannot even change its own nappy, for goodness sake. I mean, how needy is that? That's why children cry out for everything that they want, right? And not often in a humble way. Children have no power to look after themselves. They cannot protect themselves. They are vulnerable. We do wish that children would, well, some children just never grow up, do they? We wish that they would, but I digress. What Jesus is getting at with children is their neediness the gateway into the kingdom is neediness adolf von honnek reflecting on this passage is a great quote he said humility is not a virtue by itself but it is pure receptivity the expression of inner need the prayer for god for god's grace and forgiveness in a word the opening up of the heart you see, the child standing before them is a visual picture of the gateway into the kingdom. Children have no power in themselves. They've got no money. They've got no accomplishment. They've got no status. They are needy creatures that need everything doing for them. You see what Jesus is doing? You see, when you understand your neediness, when you understand how you get into the kingdom, the whole question of goatness goes where? It's not even a category. You don't even start talking about that stuff. You're not going to worry about being the goat when you understand that you ended like a what? Like a child. When you you understand you don't get into the kingdom because you're a man or a woman. You don't get into the kingdom because you've got power to do miracles and cast out demons. You don't get into the kingdom because you had Jesus pay your tax for you. You don't get into the kingdom because you had some sort of supernatural experience on the mountain where you saw Jesus transfigured. There's no entrance into the kingdom of God by status, ethnicity, accomplishment, wealth. It is only on the basis of your utter need of forgiveness in the grace of God provided for you by someone else. It's like Jesus saying, no more talk about the goat when you get the gateway. But Jesus now says something to them which further just blows their concept of goatness out the water. Verse 5. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What? If you welcome one little one, one little child, you are welcoming me. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he is the goat that lowered himself to the lowest place. of all. What he's saying is, I am the goat who became the little one. Now back up into the context and you see it. Back up into Matthew 17 again. Look at this. When they came together in... Man, uh, this is Matthew 17, 22. When they came together in Galilee, he, told, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will, they will kill Him. And on the third day, He will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. The title of the Son of Man is the greatest divine title from Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. It is the Son of Man who approached the ancient of days on the clouds of heaven. It is the one given authority, glory, and sovereign power. It's the one to whom all the nations and people of every language will come and bow down. The Son of Man is the one to whom the kingdom is given. His dominion will never end. His kingdom will never, ever be destroyed. And the Son of Man, the elevated one, the goat of Daniel 7 has done what? He's become a become a little one. In the words of Philippians 2, which Mark brought us last week, and you'll see it, Philippians 2. Have a look at it. Talking of Jesus from chapter 2, verse 6, of Philippians who being in the very nature God, goat, did not consider equality with God, goat, something to use for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, Lowly, taking the very nature of a servant, lowly, being made in human likeness, lowly, being found in the appearance of a man, lowly, humbled himself, lowly, obedient to death, lowly, even to death on a cross, the lowest, lowly of lows. See, the goat became a little one. To do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And that is to save us from the wrath of God. And give us forgiveness of sins. So who are we? Who are we? The goat became a little one and we are his. We are the little ones. We are the ones who believe in him. Remember the words of our goat in Matthew 10, 24? He said, the student is not above the teacher nor the servant above his master. See, we do truly become great. We do truly become great when we become little ones. So for the rest of the time, I want to to focus on those applications. The goat question is answered by the gateway question. It leads us to the lowly goat. Now the lowly goat applications. Jesus is the goat who becomes a little one. And we are the little ones. And therefore at this point it should not be surprising that the question of goatness has gone somewhere to the back. You see, it doesn't come come up again in this passage, does it? But unfortunately, if you've got your Bible, if you flick two chapters on, it does come up again in Matthew chapter 20. verse twenty. Because I think uh, the Zebedee brother's mother didn't like this answer. And so uh, James and John's mother, she muscles in on Jesus, wants to get her two sons into the goat positions. (sighs) The making of mature disciples takes a long, long time, doesn't it? From verses 6 to 22. The goat now teaches his little ones how to treat little ones. Hear that? From 6 to 22, actually to the end of the chapter, but I'm going to focus on 6 to 22. The goat now teaches his little ones how to treat little ones. And it's going to be broad. Let's go to the first one. In verses 6 to 9 of Matthew 18, little ones seek not to sin against little ones. Follow with me from verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Little ones serve little ones by seeking not to sin against each other. And you notice as you look at this, do you sort of see how serious it is when we sin against each other? Yeah, how serious it is when little ones, Christians, sin against other Christians. Do you see how serious it is? Verse 6 when, 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 it's so serious that it's, Jesus says it's like it would be better when little ones sin against little ones, it would be better to have a concrete slab, put it around your neck, and then drown at the bottom of the sea. And notice again in verse 7 to 9. Jesus says if you find yourself sinning against the little one, it's better that you go cut off those sinning body members. Cut off your arms, cut off your feet, cut off your, cut off your hands. Do, do an amputation on the sinning members of your body. In other words, put to death the sin that you do against one another. Sinning against each other is so serious. We do need to be careful, don't we, about taking this passage a little bit too literally. Otherwise, Bustleton Baptist Church might become Bustleton Baptist Amputee Church. And we'll be coming to church every Sunday looking like dismembered zombies. But you get the point, don't you? When we sin against each other, what do you do? What do you do? You go... And radically repent. And you go and do radical surgery on those parts of your body that are sinning. But as we start to look at this and go, well, what, what does it mean for, for little ones not to sin against little ones? What, what, what are we looking at? I, th- I think it starts is that we have to see each other as the little lowly ones that we are. We've got to see each other as little children of God. We've got to see each other as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to see one another as having Christ in us. We've got to to treat each other as little ones who have and are being recreated in the image of Christ. And as we start to see each other as as little ones, we, we start... To, to, to not sin against each other means that we want to display the fruit of the Spirit to one another. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and, and faithfulness. Just think about the little children, physical little children. How much allowance do we make for their shortcomings and failures? How much? Steph, how much do you make for your kids? Enormous, right? Enormous. We see each other as little ones with all our frailties and all our weaknesses and all our sins. How much allowance must we make for one another? You'll see in a moment, we don't, overco- we don't just cover over sin, but, but, but love covers a multitude of sins. We, we acknowledge with one another, if we're little ones, that we're still weak. We're still powerless. We're still helpless in some ways. We fall. We stumble. We, we do the wrong things. We wander onto the drums. We do all that stuff. Sorry, again. It's in my head. How do you, take a little one, and she was so cute, do we not treat little ones with tenderness and affection and delight and kindness and gentleness? Isn't that there? So if you're a little one, Martin, if you're a little one to me, how do I treat you? The same way. I want to delight in you, and I don't want to be tender with you and compassionate with you, and Make sense But notice as we keep going through the passage, the first thing Jesus says is, "Little ones seek not to sin against little ones. That's six to nine. The second thing he says, and we'll jump down the passage, we'll come to the middle bit little ones seek to restore relationships with little ones. We know that we're going to sin against each other, right? It's going to happen. It can't not happen. So what do you do when that happens? You want to go and be restored. So just look at verse 15 and 16 of the passage. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. When we sin against each other, what are we meant to do? We're meant to go and sort it out as quickly as possible. But sometimes in the way that we sin against each other, sometimes it's so grievous. Sometimes it's really, really hard. And sometimes when we go and confront each other, we get all hard-hearted and we get defensive and we self-justify and all that sort of stuff. And so it's necessary sometimes to take somebody with you to go and help you sort it out. And so whether we're the offended one or whether we're the one that has uh, uh, done the offense, we want to go as quickly as possible and restore the relationship. And yes, sometimes church discipline is necessary because Christians, even little ones, can become very hard-hearted. But church discipline is always for the purpose of of restoring, of bringing back, of fixing that which is broken. So here's the thing, though. We do sin against each other as little ones. And when we sin, what do we go and do? We go and restore, all right? So, so and, and we, 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 do, we, we do radical uh, sort of heart surgery. We repent. We, we go and restore. But we keep doing it, right? So what do you do? Little ones seek to continually forgive. Little ones, have a look at verse twenty-one and twenty-two. Peter comes to Jesus and says, "Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times." Well, John actually got uh, Peter got that from the Old Testament. He was thinking he was being very, very generous in, uh, in in the number seven. And uh, Jesus says to him, Now I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven Seven times or 70 times. Seven, depending on the translation. When we sin against each other, what do we do? When we sin against other ones, we see how serious it is. We radically repent. We do radical surgery on those body parts that are sinning. We go and seek to be restored, and we need to keep on practicing what forgiveness. We need to keep on forgiving each other over and over and over again. You get the drift of this passage. You get in the feeling. You get in the flow. Little ones who belong to the lowly goat serve his little ones by seeking not to sin against them, repenting and restoring their relationships, forgiving each other. But there's one more. There's one more in verses 10 to 14. Little ones seek to restore straying little ones. Now look at verse 10. Verse 10. Jesus says, See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, you look at that verse, and it's very easy to get distracted. It's, Ew, we want to go off into all sorts of places, right? I mean, it seems to say that Christians have got angels or little ones. uh, And we can go off into the ethereals, and whenever you do that, you end up with some form of heresy. We mustn't miss the point. What's Jesus saying? If angels, right, so angels are created beings, right? You with me? Angels are created beings. And what do they do? Where are they, according to the verse? Where are they? They're in heaven. And what do they do? They see the the Father's face. But in Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that angels are created by God to serve God's little one. So if created angels in heaven see the face of the Father, but they were created to serve God's little ones, the point is, how precious are we to the Father? If God created angels that are in the very presence of God that see the Father's face, if God created them to look after us, man, how precious are we to the Father? How do angels look after God's people? I don't know. Don't get distracted. See the point? How can we despise one another? How can we look down on one another? How can we treat each other with a sense of disdain and whatever? At times, when knowing just how precious we are, to the Father. And so what happens? What happens then when a little one amongst us goes off? What happens when a little one strays? Actually, it was a great illustration, so I'm sorry, Izzy, I'm going to use this again. As your little one strayed <laughs> off to the drums, what did you do? What did you do, Mark? Izzy? <laughs> well, you went and got her, didn't you? You went and fetched her. Because we are so precious to one another, you see what happens is we we, we can wander off into sin. We can wander off into foolish decisions. We can wander off into the habit of not meeting together. Now listen, I'm not talking about Christians that leave our church and go to another church. I'm talking about little ones that stray away into into sin and into foolish decisions, and they stop meeting together with God's people. They stop uh, uh, receiving God's word. They stop receiving the baton of the gospel passed on to them. But because we are so precious to one another, when one strays, what do we do? We go in? and fetch them so look at that parable i won't read it again so then jesus tells the parable doesn't he he says there are a hundred sheep who are the sheep the sheep are gods little ones the sheep are his redeemed children the shepherd is jesus the one who wanders away is a christian In the context, not a non Christian, a Christian that wanders away and they they wander away into foolish choices and all that sort of stuff. And listen, look at verse 14. If the Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these should be lost, then what's our attitude? If God has done everything in his power to bring all his little ones to glory, what's our attitude to one another? But we want to see that all God's little ones make it to glory as well. And we want to go after them and fetch them and call them and, 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 and bring them back. The same commitment that the Father has to his little children is the same commitment that we ought to have to his little children. Let me put it like this. The Father is so committed to the internal well-being of every little one for whom the goat died Therefore, how committed should we be to one another? Our attitude should be one of esteeming one another so highly, loving one another so deeply, committed to one another so completely, because that is how the Father is committed to His little. I want to, as I start to close, I'm going to ask you five questions, which drawing out of the passage. Here's the first question I want to ask you: Are you a lowly little one? Are you a lowly little one? Because remember, Jesus, Jesus said. I truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps you sit here this morning and actually you're still full of pride because you will not receive the kingdom like a child. It's still about your goodness, it's still about your achievement, it's still about what you've become, it's still about trying to fix it up. It's still about all sorts of... Have you received the kingdom like a child? Have you acknowledged your complete and utter dependency and neediness? Because Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and what? Lowly. In heart or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You've seen what a child does, don't they? When they're hurt, when they're needy, what do they do with their parents? Daddy, mommy, they run. Maybe this morning, you still need to run to Jesus. Two, are you sinning against little ones? Well, we do. And perhaps something comes to mind even as I say that to you. And can I just remind you again of the seriousness of sinning? And Jesus says, Better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to be thrown into eternal fire of hell. Repent. Go to your Father and repent. And cut off those sinning body parts. And you know one of the greatest ways that we sin against each other. Hey, you know which body part, don't you? the mouth, isn't it? It's the gossip. It's the slander. It's the judgmentalism. Some of us proverbially need to go and have our tongues cut out. Do you need to be restored to a little one? Remember the words of our goat? He said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother or sister has something against you or you against them, my, my, my addition, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I, do you need to be restored this morning to someone? Do you need to go and be restored? Maybe you need to take someone with you. to be of help and support and encouragement. Go and be restored. Do you need to forgive a little one? Hmm. Forgive as the Father has forgiven you. We look down at the end of that passage, Matthew 21, verse 35, we're told that we are to forgive from the from the heart. I can tell you I know how hard it is to forgive. And I need to forgive today, and I also need to forgive tomorrow. And my final question is, are there some little ones who have strayed into sin? Again, I'm not talking about Christians that have left here for certain reasons and gone to another church. Are there there little ones who have strayed? No longer fellowship anywhere with God's people, though they claim to be Christian. They've wandered into foolish, harmful, Sinful decisions. I talked to the eldership. I talked to the leadership here this morning. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to go and fetch them. We're going to do all that we can to bring them home. Truly is the goat, isn't he? I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to sit down. I'm going le- to, don't, team, don't come up. I'm going to come back after a minute and we're going to sing a song together. But just for a minute, just leave that picture on. Take a little bit of time to think about. I'm going to introduce you to a new song. And I'm going to ask you to stand. It's going to be played on the video.